0: good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, As part of our Lent service, many of you know that um, during the season of Lent, Pastor Will over at Hope Church and I have kind of been partnering together uh, to um, celebrate the fact that God has gathered us not only into specific churches, but gathered a people into a community. And uh, so we've been We've been sharing pulpits, and uh, last week we had the pleasure and privilege of having Pastor Will come and speak here this morning. I have already uh, been over to Hope, and uh, I bring you greetings from the people at Hope, and uh, I'm excited to be here with you, though, and to share this word that that God has intended for us this morning. Um, one of the things I, I, I... One of the reasons why... for. We wanted for me to go preach at Hope and connect with that group over there. It's just for them to get to know me um, because we have big plans for Nazarenes in Battle Creek and we hope to be able to partner together and get to know each other. And one of the things uh, that I was trying to intentionally do was share a little bit about myself and I realized that the story I wanted to share with them this morning uh, is probably a story many of you don't know about me yet. And so um, I think it may have been on my resume back in whenever when the board was looking at it, but um, uh, several years ago, I had kind of a side job um, where I was a, what we call the rider coach for the Motorcycle Safety Foundation. I was a certified rider coach. I taught beginner rider courses. Now, I love, I love motorcycles. I love all things related to motorcycles, um, but this is probably one of my favorite things that I've done. Also, one of the most challenging things I've ever done is where you get people who want to get their motorcycle license, some of which who have never even touched a motorcycle before in their life, um, some of uh, which um, were people that had maybe been passengers on their spouse's bike for a long time and said, I need to figure out how this motorcycle thing works and, you know, I just want to know so I'm a better passenger. Um, usually by the end, they're asking what bike they should get for themselves, um, And then there's, my favorite response was always the one when you asked, why did you come to class? They said, well, the judge said I had to be here. Um, That one I always knew I was in for an interesting treat. But you'd gather 10 or 12 students together, and we would do this 20-hour course, and some of that involved classroom, where we'd sit down with our books and watch videos and talk about, this is a clutch lever, or when you squeeze this lever, the motorcycle does this, and this is how you change gears, and... Um, you know this is how you squeeze the brake and this is how you lean and like all those things and and also people in cars try to kill you and this is how to be safe like there's a whole spiel about being a good rider Um, but then there's this moment where you transition from in the classroom out to a parking lot we called it a range because it sounds very official and on this range there was cones and 12 motorcycles smaller motorcycles beginner level motorcycles and we would spend some time the first day, not a whole lot of time, but a little bit of time uh, introducing people to some basic skills of operating a motorcycle. So we'd start out really simple. You'd sit on the motorcycle and you'd just rock back and forth. Um, you'd put your heels up and then you, or your toes up on your heels, and you would just ease out the clutch until your toes went flat with the ground. And you literally move three inches. But for some people, those three inches were the first three inches they'd ever ridden a motorcycle. And so That was a huge barrier for a lot of people. And then from there, we would ride 50 feet from one cone to another cone, but they never put their feet up on the pegs. They would walk with it, you know, just kind of, we called it the duck walk. You just paddle along from one thing to the other, and then you turn around and you'd paddle back. And so at the end of day one, um, for many, that was the first time they'd ever ridden a motorcycle. And at the end, as we'd wrap up our day, we'd say... um, We've got a message for you, and we need you to hear this. Because like I said, it was a 20-hour class. You couldn't do it all in one day. There was usually a a couple more days you had to come back and do it. And some of these classes would go from one weekend to the next, right? So Saturday, you'd have to wait till the next Saturday to do it, which is a lot of time to forget what you'd been taught, but also to develop bad habits if you're practicing on your own. And so we gave this big spiel at the end of of the first day and said, whatever you do, and this is going to sound wrong, but whatever you do, don't go home and practice, Because we don't want to spend the next two days trying to unlearn all the bad habits. That number one, everybody's got their biker friend who's going to teach them, you know, whatever they think is about. Oh, my friend has been riding for 30 years. He can teach me better than you guys who are certified and went through a rigorous training course, right? They know better, right? And so they come back and then they fail the test because they're listening to their friend instead of their coach. Um, Other times people go out and uh, they get in trouble because... Just the fact that you can make a motorcycle move across a parking lot doesn't mean you're legal to be riding on the street on a motorcycle. And so sometimes people get come back with their ticket um, and said, I have to drop out of class because <laughs> my license has been revoked. Or, you know, their warning or whatever. And the worst case scenario is when you see somebody um, walking up to the classroom with their arm in a cast or on crutches saying, I can't participate in the rest of the class because I, uh, I dumped my bike and I hurt myself. And so we give them this message that said, "Don't go practice. We don't want you influenced by anybody else. We don't want you learning from anybody else. We don't want you making up stuff and figuring things out as you go. You want to learn to be a rider from a certified coach that knows how to teach you, right? You want you think of the the finish line. You want to pass this test. We're the ones that are going to be testing you. You want to know what the expectations are. But more importantly." Our goal is to teach you how to be safe. And there's a difference between riding a motorcycle, making it move, and riding a motorcycle well and being safe. And so we gave this big spiel about don't practice. And we always had people that push back on that, like, no, no, all right, whatever, just don't do it. And I bring up this story today because it reminds me a lot of what's happening in our scripture. I mean, you saw the video, and thanks to the teens for doing our scripture lesson that way. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, But that's our story for today, is Jesus with his disciples in a boat talking about bread and yeast and the Pharisees. It's kind of a weird situation, and if you just read through this scripture kind of quickly, you'd be like, this makes no sense. I'm just going to move on to something else that makes more sense. But I don't want to do that today. I want to invite you to, to take a look at what happens when we uh, kind of go off and practice on our own when rider coach King Jesus isn't around. And when we start to miss what Jesus is teaching us and maybe we have, we're influenced by others or we, we uh, develop some bad habits. So we're going to look today at what King Jesus is doing in our lives and instead um, we become vulnerable to the influence of someone or something else. Our scripture for today comes from Mark chapter 8 and it's... Uh, Verses 11 through 21, um, and we're going to talk about it in two different sections. I'm not going to read through all that because the, the teens just acted it out. I'm going to refer back to what they said and did and kind of fill in some of the details. But um, that, was our, that was our scripture for today. And so if you're not familiar with it, you can open your Bibles and track along and fill in some of the details. If you've got a Bible app on your phone or whatever, feel free to do that. Um, but in this story, you saw uh, Jesus... Uh, With his crown, which obviously he wore everywhere he went um, (laughs) in those days. But that, that was Jesus. And then there was some Pharisees. And then there was disciples in a boat, right? So we know who the characters and the actors are, right? And the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, Give us a sign from heaven. Now heaven, for us, when we hear the word heaven today, we think of, well, that's the paradise that we'll go to when we die. Um, in Jesus' day, uh, heaven had a a little bit different weight behind it, a little bit more nuanced meaning behind it. Heaven was was God's throne room. It was the place from which God ruled all of creation, right? So heaven, yes, it was this place that was, you know, divine and godly and perfect and holy and all those things. But more importantly, heaven meant there was authority behind it. It meant that this is God's Ruling power being revealed, right? So when they say we want a sign, it's not just any sign. It's a sign from heaven. If people are going to claim that Jesus is the Messiah, if he's from God, if he's the anointed one, he's the Christ, it has to bear the weight, the authority of God. And so it has to be a sign, but not just any sign. It has to be a sign from heaven. And so they ask him for this. Jesus, give us a sign from heaven. And Jesus gives them a big old nope. Nope. Um, and just says "No, and walks away. He says, "Why does this generation need a sign right and just refuses to do anything else for him and so his response is he says, "Nope, and he gets in his boat with his disciples, and he leaves <laughs> he just leaves the Pharisees hanging uh, and, and things just get weirder from here. Um, it says he gets in his, his boat and he left with the disciples and we 're in the gospel of Mark, and if you if, been studying the Gospel of Mark or following along during our Lent series and paying attention, you realize that um, Mark is the shortest gospel, um, but it's also the most urgent one. Like things happen fast in the Gospel of Mark. And and the author of the Gospel of Mark doesn't really have time for you know details, transitions, information that helps us understand what's going on. He just jumps from one thing right to the next. So the Pharisees say, give us a sign, Jesus says, No thanks, and gets in the boat. And immediately, um, it talks about disciples forgetting the bread. So it just jumps from, I'm not going to give you a sign to, the disciples have gotten in the boat and they forgot the bread. And if you think that getting in, the bre- or getting in the boat without bread is a weird thing for Mark to highlight, of all the things he could be talking about, he's talking about, oh, we, don't, we didn't bring any bread with us. Um, if you think that's weird for Mark to make a big deal about it, like just wait until we dig into Jesus' response, because he takes it to a whole nother level. So the disciples are discussing amongst themselves that they forgot the bread. They only have one loaf in the boat. And everybody knows, I mean, everybody knows that if you're gonna go on a road trip, the most important thing are the snacks, right? Like along the way. You gotta have this you got Right. I mean, this is it, it's not a road trip if you don't have and they've gotten in the boat and they have one loaf and they forgot. And um You know, that's going to be a deal breaker. And so they're like, we don't have any more bread. We just got the one loaf. And Jesus hears them talking about this and responds to the disciples' uh, worry about forgetting the bread by saying this, which obviously makes perfect sense. He says this. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. So the disciples are over here going, oh, man, we started the trip and we don't have enough bread. And Jesus' response is, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. I said over at, at Hope Church this morning that I thought the Yeast of the Pharisees would have been the cool name for like a Christian punk band in the 80s. Um, uh, you guys can feel free to come up with your own Yeast of the Pharisees or what, online, throw out suggestions. Yeast of the Pharisees is whatever, I don't know. Anyways, to me it was an 80s punk Christian band. Um, moving on, uh, but that was Jesus' response, right? He, he, he heard them talking about, well, we forgot the bread, and... His response is, watch out for the East of the Pharisees and of Herod, which is, Herod wasn't even there, like, so why are you bringing Herod into this? And again, like I said, the author of Mark can't be bothered to provide any context or details or explanation at all, and he just moves on to the next, next thing. He just jumps right to the next thing. And so the disciples, uh, as they should be, I think, were confused uh, by Jesus' response Like I said, it's confusing, so I I get the confusion there. And so they start discussing amongst themselves, like what what is Jesus talking about? What are we supposed to be doing? And so they're trying to figure it out um, and they come to the conclusion that Jesus is talking about their current situation with not having bread, right? And so obviously the disciples determine, obviously he means don't get bread from the Pharisees. Beware of their yeast. Don't get bread from the Pharisees. That's Maybe what he's talking about, maybe not. Like, probably not. I don't know. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with bread, though, or not. Like, it's you can see the disciples in the boat going, "What is happening here?" Like, we just pointed out the fact that we don't have any bread, and Jesus is over here making a big deal about this. But before the disciples can even spend too much time, again, like I said, everything happens fast in Mark. Um, Jesus confronts. The disciples, again, he hears them having conversation about his response, and so he responds again. And the next thing that Jesus says, I mean, you guys might interpret it differently, but when I hear it or I read it, it comes across pretty heavy-handed. It comes across pretty harsh. Because they're saying, what is he talking about, bread? Like the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod. And Jesus responds by saying this, Do you see and still not understand? <laughs> Okay, Jesus, like what? What is, you know, Pharisees, Yeast, Herod, what does all this have to do with it? And then he says, are your hearts hardened? Now, if you're not familiar with that phrase, it shows up other places in the Bible. Other important people who have had their hearts hardened were Pharaoh, (laughs) that wouldn't let the slaves go out of Egypt. And God comes in and and gives them the ten plagues to Try to soften the Pharaoh's heart. It's not a good thing. Um, a hardened heart is ascribed to kings who um, oppress people, create violence, um, create poverty. Like, bad kings, bad people are people who have their hearts hardened. And Jesus is applying this to the disciples because they don't know what he's talking about because they forgot the bread. Right? I mean, this feels a little overkill. Right? Um, And then he continues, he says, do you have eyes and yet are unable to see? (laughs) Are you guys blind? It's right here in front of you. He says, do you have ears? Are you unable to hear? It's like, Jesus, I heard what you said. (laughs) I I see the one loaf. What is is going on here? And again, going back to the the road trip analogy, Jesus seems like to me the, the dad who is tired of hearing the kids complain that they're hungry on the road trip, Right? And he responds with very direct and abrupt words. Like, what do you want me to do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. You forgot the snacks. I can't fix it. Um, but we get to the point where we ask ourselves is all this drama really over bread? Right? Like, what do the disciples do that Jesus is accusing them of being blind, deaf, and having hard hearts? Like, this is some serious stakes. Like, all they did was forget the bread, Right. But then Jesus asked one more question. And and, and for me, this is the most important question. And this is the question that, that we're going to use to unlock maybe our understanding of what's going on here. He asked one more question. He says, do you not remember? Jesus is concerned that the disciples have forgotten something. But he's not concerned that they forgot bread. He says, you've forgotten something, but it's not bread that I'm worried about. Because as you saw in the video, as it started, the teens video, um, Directly before, if you had your Bibles open or if you, if you remember the story or you know Mark chapter 8, the story right before this story, like the scripture verses right before the Pharisees start asking uh, for a sign, the story right above that is Jesus feeding 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread, right? Like that's the story. Jesus finishes feeding 4,000 people and immediately after that, they ask for a sign, Like, it's the same page. And then if you go just two chapters back to Mark 6, there's Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Right? So we're still in the same neighborhood. We haven't gone far. And how do both of those stories start? There's people. There's a crowd. The disciples didn't have enough food to feed them. But there were some loaves of bread hanging around, and there were some fish. And Jesus took those loaves... And from a few loaves, he fed the crowd. And so, um, you know, in, in verse 19, if you're following along in your Bible, but in verse 19, Jesus talks to his, his disciples and says, how many basketfuls of pieces of bread did you have when I was done feeding the 5,000? How much was left? How much did you guys pick up and leave behind when we left there? Um, not to put too fine a point on it, but um, how many basketfuls? And they said 12. And then he said, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000 people, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? And they answered seven. And then so Jesus hearing these responses of 12 and seven, then looks at them and says, don't you understand? (laughs) As if 12 and seven is supposed to make everything come into light. Oh, it's all clear now. 12 and seven. It's perfect. Um, But at the beginning of our scripture, the Pharisees were asking for a sign, right? They were asking for a sign to prove who he was, a divine evidence that Jesus was the Messiah. This was immediately after feeding 4,000 people. So despite the fact that Jesus had just fed 4,000 people and there was people that received that bread, there was witnesses that saw it happen, despite the fact that there were stories being spread all over the place, that maybe even some of the Pharisees themselves may have been there, despite all of that, Jesus feeding 4,000, the Pharisees still wanted a sign from heaven. And Jesus basically said to them, if you can't see what I have already done as an indication of who I am, if you cannot see the work that I have been doing as a sign of godly authority, then there's nothing else that I can do to prove to you, to convince you, to reveal to you who I am. Right? If feeding 4,000 people from a few loaves of bread doesn't reveal God and his authority, then what else can I do to prove to you? And so, Jesus just left. What else can he prove to somebody, how else can he show something to somebody when they're actively trying not to see? And so he just left. But then, after Jesus, uh, after watching Jesus feed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread, the disciples come to Jesus or are worried that there won't be enough bread. Right? There isn't going to be enough bread for the twelve disciples in Jesus. And I think at this point, I, I'm reading into the text here and projecting a little bit, but I think Jesus must have been asking himself, is no one paying attention? Like, thousands of people ate from a few loaves of bread. And the Pharisees want proof that I'm from God. The disciples are worried about one loaf feeding a dozen people. Like, is anybody paying attention to what's going on here? (laughs) But it's obvious that Jesus expects more from his followers. He wants more for his disciples. So, you know, with the Pharisees, he just walks away. But with the disciples, they get corrected. And they get taught. Um, And what he wants for his disciples is to simply remember what he's done in the past. To trust him in the present and to put their hope in him for the future. Hey, remember when I took care of all these people using a few loaves of bread? Jesus might have said, Do you not think I can provide and care for you with The one loaf we currently have? The 12 baskets that were left over when I fed 5,000 people represent the 12 tribes of Israel. It's an indication. It's a sign from heaven, if you will. It's an indication that there's enough for all of God's people. All 12 tribes are represented. It's enough for everyone. And the seven loaves that were left over, the seven baskets that were left over, uh, represent holiness. Holiness and divinity. Seven is a heavenly number. It carries God's authority with it. Seven days of creation. Um, Seven meant perfection. It meant holiness. It meant divinity. It's a declaration that this is God's holy work. And so in one story you have evidence that God can provide enough for everyone. And in the other story you have evidence that this is in fact God's work in the world. And so Jesus says to his disciples, you are seeing, but you are not understanding. You saw the thousands fed, but you don't get it. You haven't grasped what has happened. And so now you're worried, you're anxious, you're confused because you don't understand what is possible when Jesus is with you. Do you not remember what Jesus did is the question. You experienced it, You witnessed it, and now you worry that you only have one loaf of bread. This is the important message I want us to take away from today. Our past experiences with Jesus invites us to trust Jesus now. The the things that we've had with moments we've had and seasons in life we've had with Jesus, those powerful moments are invitations to trust him in the present. Experiencing the feeding of 4,000 and 5,000 in the past was an invitation for the disciples to trust that he could feed 12 in the moment. Many of us, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, um, many of us can have a memory, a memory of a point in time where we experienced God in a real and powerful way in our life. Right? If somebody asks you, like, Tell me a time when God was especially close or when God was doing something significant in your life. We, we can remember those moments. For some of us, it may have been decades ago. For others, it might have been last week. It might have been this morning. But regardless of how long ago we saw Jesus at work in our lives, our past experiences with Jesus invite us to trust Jesus now. Um, And if we don't remember what God has done in our lives in the past, or if we don't believe that God can do similar things again, we will find ourselves looking for answers from someone or something else. If we don't remember what God has done in our lives in the past and don't believe that God can do similar things again, we will find ourselves looking for answers from someone or something other than Jesus. The disciples forgot what Jesus had done with the loaves of bread in the past. And therefore, in the moment, they were shaped and influenced by the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, this takes a bit of an explanation, right? So, we're going to tackle what, what Jesus was talking about. Because there is an explanation for, for what he's talking about here. Yeast in, in Jesus' day was a powerful image. It was a powerful symbol. It was a way of talking about how something small could influence something large. It was talking about how something small could shape something bigger than itself. And so, uh, sometimes Jesus talks about yeast as being a negative thing. Get rid of the yeast of the Pharisees. Get rid of the yeast of Herod. And sometimes he talks about being a positive thing, where he mentions the yeast of the kingdom of God. But yeast itself was viewed as this thing that was, um, in the negative sense was a corruption of things, a ruining, a, 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 a missing the mark, a moving away from what God had intended. Um, you know, our similar expression would be, a bad apple can ruin the whole bunch, the whole barrel, the whole barrel. Um, I know that expression. Um, but the idea that one simple, small thing could influence the larger system at work. But it's, it's more than corruption, it's, it's influence, it's the power to shape and define things, to transform it. Um, And so that's what yeast was. And so when when Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, he's warning them about outside influence shaping who they are and the way they saw things. And because they did not remember the feeding of the 4,000, they didn't trust Jesus in the moment to provide for them. The one loaf wasn't enough. They didn't remember what Jesus had done in the past, and so they had no imagination for what he could do in the present. If we don't remember what God has done in our lives, and don't believe that God can do the similar things again, we will find ourselves looking elsewhere. Looking to someone or something other than Jesus. If we don't remember what Jesus has done, we end up vulnerable to the influence of the east of the Pharisees, of the east of Herod. The East of the Pharisees, they were a religious leader. uh, They were religious leaders in the days of Jesus. And obviously, the the story started with them missing the miracles that Jesus was doing right in front of them. And so they were ruled by a desire to to have power and control. They used their religious positions um, to add weight and burden onto other people's lives. Herod in the story represents, the yeast of Herod represents, um, he was the king and he represents the power and wealth and opulence of Rome. The the idea that having stuff, having more is the answer. One loaf isn't enough, we need more. And so the yeast of Herod is this idea that I need power so I can get more, I need power so I can keep more, (laughs) I need power so I can continue to be more. And so he warns them, don't forget what I am teaching you. Don't forget what I am showing you. Don't be influenced by a world that uses their religion to gain power and influence. And don't be fooled by a world that is trying to shape you, to put your hope and to put your trust in material things. So he says, don't let the yeast of Pharisees and Herod shape who you are. If we don't let our experiences with Jesus in the past shape our expectations in the present, and if we don't let our experiences in the past shape our hope for the future, we will find ourselves following and being influenced, being shaped by things other than Jesus. And so as we quickly move through this season of Lent in the life of the church and move towards Easter, um, you've seen the promo videos the last few weeks and the announcements that um, on Sunday morning, if any would like, we will baptize. Um, we'll have baptism on Easter Sunday morning. Um, and, and this is important. I, baptism is probably one of my favorite things to do as a pastor uh, because baptism is this declaration of faith to the public, right? It's somebody standing up in front of a group of people and saying, I am following Jesus. I am a Christian. And that is something. And it's to be celebrated. Um, but there's more to it than that. Baptism is a sacrament a means of grace, which means that baptism is a gift from God in which one being baptized is immersed not only in the water, but they're immersed in the grace and love and mercy of God. Baptism becomes a foundational cornerstone in the life of a believer. On Good Friday, um, Paul mentioned that we're putting some details together for a Good Friday service, um, on Good Friday, we'll have a, a Good Friday service. And one of the elements of that service will be a, a station for remember your baptism in which you'll be invited to come and to remember your baptism. And there's a, a separate section for those of you who haven't been baptized to kind of walk you through what it means and maybe why you should get baptized or something like that. But, um, but for those of us who have been baptized, there's a, a, a liturgy that will walk you through Remembering your baptism. Jesus asked his disciples, do you not remember? And so on Good Friday, we will invite people to touch the water and to remember your baptism. And some words from the service, and this is why I bring all this up, is I wanted you to hear these words that will be part of that remember your baptism element. It says, when you remember your baptism, remember that you were nothing and God made you new. You were without hope, but he called you his own. He has adopted you as his child and heir. Remember the sin that caused the world to fall. Understand the consequences of sin for every human being and realize your continual need for the perfect Savior who lived and died and rose for all who would believe. Why do we need to remember our baptism? Why is that going to be part of a Good Friday service? Why do we need to remember what God has done in our lives in the days gone by? because our past experiences with Jesus invite us to trust Jesus now. If we don't remember what God has done in our lives in the past and we don't believe that God can do the same thing or something similar again, we will find ourselves looking for answers from someone or something else. I think you're picking up on a pattern here. I've said <laughs> these exact phrases several times. I I think that's the message I'm trying to convey this morning. Jesus does not want his disciples to be leavened by the yeast of the Pharisees or by the yeast of Herod. He doesn't want them to be shaped or influenced by by those teachers. Jesus does not want his followers, his loved ones, to be shaped, influenced. And most importantly, he doesn't want them chasing after lives that lead people away from the kingdom of God. And so the invitation for Jesus' disciples back then is the same invitation... For us today. Commit to remembering what God has done so that you can experience the life God has for you now. I said a few moments ago that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as like being a yeast. In other places in, in scripture, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God um, working getting into the into the world and, and working like, like yeast works through dough. Just a little bit gets in and it'll shape the whole world. A little bit of the kingdom changes things. It transforms things. It shapes things around itself. And the work that God has done in our past, in our lives, that can be the yeast of the kingdom of God. The work that God has done in our past can shape and influence our faith in the present and our hopes for the future. And so again, commit to remembering what God has done. Share praises. Paul mentioned uh, an upcoming uh, time of of prayer that we're going to start having regular prayer gatherings on Wednesday evenings. And a portion of that will be to share praises. Because this is so important to do. To verbalize, to acknowledge, to recognize the blessings that God has done in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. So share praises. Some people like to journal, to write down what God is up to in their lives. Um, Others like to read scripture and see ourselves as part of the story of the redeemed people of God. So as we read these scripture stories, we insert ourselves in there and go, oh, I can relate to that prodigal son. I can relate to that lost sheep. I can relate to the, the woman who lost the coin and was sweeping for it. I can relate to, like we put ourselves into these stories and say, oh, God's done something similar in my life too. And then pray. Not just asking for things, but praising God for the grace and mercy of days gone by. Remember, Jesus says, remember when you were fed by the bread that Jesus provided. Remember when you were forgiven of sins. Remember when you understood that God was saving you, that God was making you holy, that God was redeeming you for his own kingdom. Don't you remember, is the question that Jesus asks his disciples. Do you remember we just did this together? There's 4000 people that just got food. Don't forget it. Remember, in today's culture we're we're uh, invited and tempted to let our lives be shaped by reaction to what is happening right in front of us. We're a reactionary culture built on uh, on impulse and outrage and response. It's all re- real time, real fast. We just put things in front of ourselves and react and respond. And so we're a culture shaped by reacting to what is happening right now and shaped by fear of what might happen in the future. But remembering God's love for us in the past will set us free from that. It'll set us free in such a way that we are allowed and invited to live lives completely different than the rest of the world. We can be free of fear and we can be at peace with one another when we remember God has done for us in the past. Trust that he can do it again in our present and hope that he will do it again in the future. So in a moment, the praise team will come to lead us in singing a song. And unless they've changed it since I last looked at the, the service order, it'll be a song about all the reasons we have to trust God today and to put our hope in God in the future. You might even say that there's 10,000 Reasons to Trust God and Hope in God. Are we still doing 10,000 Reasons? Okay. <laughs> it would be really weird if I tease 10,000 Reasons and then we don't sing 10,000 Reasons. But as the praise team comes to lead us one more time, I want to offer up a prayer of confession, as I have been doing during the season of Lent. And at the end, I will offer up a declaration of absolution. Uh, Lent is this season of... of Asking, are we following Jesus? It's a, it's a season of celebrating that we go with Jesus, but it's also a season of evaluating ourselves, going, what yeast is in my life shaping it? Are the things that I need to let go of? Are the things shaping my life that keep me from trusting Jesus with my whole heart? Are the things in my life that keep me from loving my neighbor as myself? And so I offer up this prayer uh, on our, all of our behalf. So pray with me this morning. Amen. And God is merciful to all who confess their sins. In humility, seek for mercy. So it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that I can declare our sins are forgiven. I invite you to stand and worship with us one more time.